scripture, uh, the fact that we rise from the dead. I often say to our elders and to maybe many of you that if the resurrection is true, we'll be all right. And even if we're not all right, we'll still be all right. And so uh, we're going to pray in that vein. We'll sit in silence for a little bit and we'll talk about this passage. All right, let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your son, Jesus, who after he rose from the dead, uh, decided to have breakfast with his disciples. And it strikes, it strikes us as, um, in some sense, uh, gloriously comical that you would take the time uh, to cook fish for those who denied you uh, after you accomplished the greatest task and the greatest work in all of the cosmos, and you are just so patient, you're so kind, you're so confident, you're so uh, worthy. You're so worthy of our praise, you're so worthy of our attention. And so would we give that to you this morning uh, as we meditate on what it means that you rose from the dead. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, I was visiting a friend in North Carolina last week at another church called Redeemer. And uh, there was a lady there named Miss Barbara McCoy who had, had just passed away from cancer. And they uh, had just given a eulogy for her funeral. Her daughter was talking about her mother's uh, life, basically with challenges and hardship. And she said that, you know, when my mom became an empty nester, that was a very, very difficult time and season in her life. And then her daughter said, said that my mother, Barbara, uh, made a commitment to pursue joy in her love relationship with God in that hard season. And what happened through her life, and you could tell it affected this entire community, uh, is that it changed everybody around her. Uh, so much so that one of the elders in this church said, you know, I was, I was growing, especially this past year, I was growing super cynical and pessimistic about the church, about being a Christian, and definitely about being an elder, uh, until I started talking to Barbara. And he said, she, she helped me remember what it was to be a Christian again, because I had grown so pessimistic. Um, that's what our passage is about. Not about like picking up the broken pieces of your past or the pain that has happened in the past, but it's about uh, what, what I would call literal joy in your literal life because Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection changes everything. It changes your story. It changes how you think about love. It changes how you interact with other people. Uh, 
And I want to look at those three things in light of the resurrection. How does it change our story? Well, it transforms your deepest regrets and failures into places of deep power. So the ways in which you've been harmed and hurt uh, actually become, in the ways in which you failed, actually become the, the power by which you move into the world and you can give Jesus to people. You can give glory to people. You can give eternal stuff to people. That's what happens with Peter. Peter thought that he was strong. And he had to be shown that he was just like everyone else. If you remember Peter, he was the guy that said, even if all these other punks deny you, Jesus, I won't. Like, I'm going to be there to, to the bitter end. And yet that's exactly what he did not do. He denied Jesus to a little slave girl. And God usually, this is the pattern, at least in my life, and I've seen it in others, and it's here in Peter, He uses the place in which you are exceptional. The places in which you stand out as compared to other people to break you down. Not to not to leave you there, but to break you down. This is this is the common narrative of superheroes, right? Obviously, they're they have great strengths. They're they have superpowers, but it's oftentimes their greatest weakness as well. Peter had failed in the exact place that he was strong and he was wallowing in that misery. And what do you do when you're miserable? You do what you know. So he went fishing. Don't you just love that? It's like, well, the whole world's pointless. What else are we going to do? Might as well go fishing. Um, So the rest of the disciples go fishing with them and they, they go to the normal mundane thing that they always do. And I love this because this is the context of the greatest change in Peter's life. And I really would pay attention to the things that you love, that you've loved since maybe you were a little child. And God, God uses that as the context in which he uh, reveals himself to you. That's what this passage is about. That's how it starts. God through Christ, revealing himself to Peter through the normalcy of his life. And I just love it that he, Jesus rose from the dead. And this part, partly proves that he's a, a physical a bodily being. Um, he eats breakfast. Isn't that just strange or normal and cool and like all of it in, in between? Um. He, he meets Peter in the normalcy of his life. He's like, hey, man, I, w- I want to like cook some of those fish that, that you caught, all 153 of them. Uh, there's been all sorts of uh, <laughs> theories on why that number is in the Bible, um, which I won't go into. But he also, Jesus also especially makes those places of deep failure in our past moments and spaces for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to do his greatest work. And so he's, he's in control, and he's like, hey, put, let, let's, uh, let's come around this charcoal fire. And the reason why he wants him to come around the charcoal fire, because in Peter's mind, that's where it all went wrong. And Jesus is attentively, patiently showing Peter that he knew that this was going to happen, that he would deny Jesus, and Jesus wants to show him, like, hey, I forgive your past sins and failures. I forgive your present sins. And I'm going to show you what your future is going to look like. And it's the same with you. It's the same with me. 
that if you're in Christ, his look towards you across the fire, just like in Luke when he looked at, he looks back at Peter after he denies him the third time and makes eye contact with Peter. It's the same look. He doesn't change. He doesn't love the pain in your past, but he does. I think Jesus loves what he's going to do with it. As one of my mentors says, Jesus sees your pain and he raises you a redemption. That's what it means to believe in the resurrection. That pain's transformative. Period. So, one, the resurrection has the power to change your perspective on your own story, and two, it has the power to change your perspective on love. One theologian said you would think that Jesus would, at this moment of deep regret, that he would need to affirm Peter that he actually still loved him, but that's not what he does. He begins to question Peter's love for him. And it's, uh, it's quite brutal if you think about what Jesus is getting down to the actual bare kernel and root. And he's relentlessly making Peter go back through the pain of his denial. Now, why would he do that? It's because he wants Peter to know that his denial of him was personal. A lot of times we uh, think that God is, is loving and gracious, and he is, but it's not cheap. It actually hurts God. That's what it means to have a personal relationship with your creator, that when you deny him, it, it hurts his heart. And it's very painful to him. And, and what, what Jesus is showing Peter is that, hey, I allowed you to hurt me. And he wants Peter to know that the gospel is not about Peter's commitment to Jesus, but it's about Jesus's commitment to him. And I can't emphasize that enough. That Christianity is not about what you do for God, but it's about what God does for you. First and foremost. And so Jesus takes him back to the charcoal fire. You know, smell, psychologists will tell you, smell is, is one of the most triggering senses to bring you back to a memory of something that happened in the past. The last time Peter smelled a charcoal fire, this is, John's writing this gospel. He's a master storyteller, by the way. Peter would have felt in his body shame and regret. And he's looking at Jesus and Jesus is looking back and he's taking him back to the place where it all went wrong to show Peter how much he loves him. By asking Peter, do you love me? You love me more than these? I wonder if you were staring at Jesus across a charcoal fire, whatever that charcoal fire is in your life, what would the question be that he would ask you? Three times. We all have that question. What Jesus is doing by asking that he's not being cruel. He's transforming him into a new Peter. The symbol for Peter in the early church was a rooster with a cross hanging over his shoulder. And Jesus is showing Peter that at his resurrection charcoal fire, that nothing can separate Peter from Jesus' love. Not even Peter can even separate Peter from his, from his love. I have a friend who was re reading Romans 8. Um, that section where it says uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And he was 
meditating on that and, and in tears, he said, what I finally realized is that I can't even separate myself from God's love. Now, if that's true, then your life is not rooted in your gifts or your performance or even how much you sacrifice or love God, but your life is rooted in God's love for you. That's what Jesus is making Peter stare into. If you know that the resurrection can change your story and your perspective on love, what it does is that it changes how you interact and you relate with with other people. In verse 15 through 17, Jesus tells Peter to feed or tend his sheep three times And what he's doing is that he's restoring Peter back to a place of authority because he has gone to the bottom of his failure. Peter's failure, and this is the key, has prepared him uh, to lead and shepherd other people. That's the prerequisite. And in verse 18 and 19, Jesus is telling Peter that this is going to cost him his life. To be crucified is to be completely exposed That's what he was doing. To be crucified is to open yourself up to the pain of other people. And what that means is that we minister to other people. We serve other people to the extent to which we allow ourselves to be exposed. And Peter is not going to start to live his life uh, in this world like a turtle without a shell. And he's going to open himself up to to pain and to feel things for the sake of other people. His shell of protection was his perceived faithfulness to Jesus, his strength, his gifts. And once Peter broke that down completely, now he can raise him up to new life, to live life from a different posture. So that at the end of Peter's life, if you read his letters, he says stuff uh, that just is totally different than how he was talking when he was uh, a younger man. He said, fellow elders, it's the end of first Peter, fellow elders and witnesses of the suffering of Christ. He said, he says, let's be good shepherds of Jesus's sheep. Let's eagerly and willingly give ourselves for them and let's clothe ourselves in humility because God is so gracious to the humble. And that's so different than how he was speaking when he was a younger man. And here's how it manifests itself in our life. If Jesus rose from the dead and took time to teach Peter this, then that means that resurrection informs how we interact with other people at all times. And this is how, if God can do miracles, and y'all, this is what we believe as Christians. Miraculous things. Uh, Rising his son from the dead being the main one then he can do anything in your life. He can do anything in the life of other people. He can do anything in the life of the world or the church. The challenge for us is to move into this world as if that's true. And so to not dwell on the resurrection, to not think about it constantly, to not imagine it, is convenient for us to continue to live selfish and self-protective lives. Cynicism and faithlessness keep us impotent in the world to move into the life of other people and to give them glory and hope, the hope of Jesus Christ. Barbara McCoy believed that she was going to rise from the dead and it changed people. Many many of you have told me, because this is my thing. I'm just like, this is true. It's all worth it. 
And many of you have asked me, I don't understand how the fact that I, if I rise from the dead at the end of my life, how that affects my day-to-day reality. Here's how. Let's say you're angry at your spouse. Let's say you struggle with being patient with your kids. Let's say you're just sad and lonely and you don't experience closeness with God. But God intends to, after it's all said and done, to rise you from the dead and give you the most intense pleasurable existence that you have ever experienced. You can't even fathom it. Like that's your ultimate end. And that's as sure as you waking up tomorrow. Then Jesus is saying how you respond to every hard thing in your life and every hard person will either attest or deny that fact. It informs how you move into this world Believing this or not. Look, uh, y'all, did y'all see that game last night? That was crazy. <laughs> the Zags. Uh, if, if I know the final score of the basketball game and I know my team's going to win and we are down 25 late in the third quarter and it's not looking good at all, but I know that my team comes back and wins because I know the future. Well, then the hard circumstance only makes the victory that much more sweet. And the point is, cynicism about yourself, content, shame, it just doesn't have any place in the arena of this God. Because he wins. And anybody that believes in him wins. If he can rise the dead... Uh, He can do anything in your life. Uh, Faith is a commitment like Miss Barbara McCoy made when her life was out of whack because she she was at a crossroads in her life and her story. And she could either grown hopeless and bitter or she could choose to believe that joy was open to her. And when she made that choice, it helped her face cancer. If you believe in the resurrection, then continual and even self joyful self-sacrifice becomes possible And finally, in verse 22, we see that we can also stop comparing ourselves to others. You know, the the resurrection helps us mind our own business. Um, And and we don't have the ability or knowledge to judge why somebody's story is different than ours. We just don't. Peter essentially gets a death sentence from Jesus. He's like, this is how you're going to die. And Peter's like, well, what about this guy? (laughs) What's going to happen to him? Um, and I, you know, I've had two, uh, a lot of profound moments this past year, but two that very much stick out. Um, one was after uh, many of you know, our, our dear friend Jordan passed away and, and the day that he died, I had a very deep sense on the drive from Lincoln to Omaha when I was going to go sit with Sarah Nunn, his, his wife, that, um, that he was Okay. Um, and I felt like God had him. And I came back to that question a couple months after that, wrestling with God and in prayer uh, in the sanctuary by that vent. That vent's holy for me. Uh, and I, I asked God again, I said, are you sure he's Okay. Um, and I like I don't hear like audible voices or 
anything like that. But, but I, did, I did get this just deep felt uh, truth that God was like, I told you not to worry about him. Stop asking that. You worry about you. Uh, and in essence, I think God was impressing uh, on me uh, to mind my own business. And, and his purposes for Jordan were, were not for me to know. Uh, and, you know, maybe maybe I'm delusional. That's very possible. But I, I'm walking into this next year of 2021 as somebody who struggles with cynicism, as somebody who struggles with just pointlessness and faithlessness. But I, I really do. I have more hope. I doubt less. I have more joy. And I think it's because 2020, because it was so difficult, makes the resurrection sweeter. Uh, and when, when, you know, when the Apostle Paul was talking to Festus, who was this very powerful government official, uh, he, Festus is like, you know, he's rattling off all this stuff. He's like, Paul, Paul, like you're out of your mind. Like you're, you, you, you're, you've learned too much. You're talking too much. And Paul's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm like rational. I'm a rational person. Agrippa will tell you. Ask Agrippa. And then Agrippa's like, you're trying to convert me to Christianity, Paul? And Paul's like, yeah, you and everyone else listening. And I, I think, like, when you believe in the resurrection, that's what he was, he was talking about the resurrection to these very powerful people. It gives you humble, confident thankfulness. But there are tasks given to you as a human being in this world that, that have its own particular path that in some sense, I think only you and Jesus know in those secret places, in the normal rhythms of your own life, your own particular cross, your own particular sacrifices. And you are not to compare your pain or your load to other people. We are simply to follow the shepherd because, because he's worthy um, I'll close here. My, my buddy was, um, he's got three daughters. His youngest daughter is named Rosemary. And he was watching the Avengers, the latest Avengers movie, um, where Captain America, uh, <laughs> he was getting uh, the, the hammer of Thor, which apparently has a name, which I forget. But uh, he gets Thor's hammer, not because he's strong, but because he's worthy. And it like comes into his hand. He said, his daughter Rosemary, when, when that happened, she stood in front of the TV and she said, he's worthy. He's worthy. <laughs> and uh, then they go and beat the enemy. And what I want you to see is that G Jesus is strong. He is. But he doesn't prim primarily beat the enemy through strength. But because he's worthy. And he's worthy because he knows your story. And he, he's worthy because he transforms love. And he takes, it, he takes the center of the cosmos with his love and, and he pours it into people. Pours it into your story. And if this is true, then, then everything about this account of the resurrection reorients our stories, the way that we interact with other people, the way that we think about where, where love is rooted. And it centers our whole existence around this pattern of death and resurrection. This sort of uh, trajectory of death and life. And my, my encouragement to you today, my plea to you and to myself is to, to believe in him uh, so that you may have life in his name. Let's pray.
Father, we do thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that um, he not only beat death. We want to give like you.